Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, dear family. How are you doing? I pray that you're well. Always, 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 always. Um, And I thought we would jump in right this morning, right away, to Bishop, Archbishop Fulton Sheen's Victory Over Vice, a book that we've been reading through for Lent. And um, it is the seven deadly sins, said Bishop Sheen, that put our Savior on the cross. So he has taken one of the seven last words of our Lord on the cross and attached a deadly sin to it, a deadly vice to it, and then shown us victory, how to have victory over vice. Today's fifth word, we went through four, and today's fifth word is I thirst. Now, what do you suppose from that the deadly vice is? I thirst, the opposite of of thirsting. And if any of you said gluttony, you're right. That's an awful uh, vice to read about during Lent. Uh, But um, uh, some people don't fully understand what gluttony is. Uh, And I'm just going to read this straight so we can get through it today. Um, And if we have to continue tomorrow, not a problem. Um, But some people say, I don't want to be left hanging. Well, let's, let's start. Gluttony is an inordinate indulgence in food or drink, either in taking more than is necessary, in taking it at the wrong time, or in taking it too luxuriously. Now, I hadn't thought about taking it at the wrong time, um, or even too luxuriously. I'll repeat that one. Gluttony is an inordinate indulgence in food or drink, either in taking more than is necessary, in taking it at the wrong time, or in taking it too luxuriously. It is sinful because reason demands that food and drink be taken for the necessities and conveniences of nature, not for pleasure alone. The gospel describes uh, dives, the, uh, the other thief on the cross, as being guilty of this sin. There is no mention that dives is a, has a wicked, um, was a wicked man. We have no record of him underpaying his servants or of being guilty uh, of any moral uh, turpitude. Our Lord tells us only that he was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. I'm sorry, that's not the second thief on the cross. Um, I misthought at the moment. But, um, uh, But he was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who lay at his gate full of sores, desiring to be filled with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And no one did give him. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died 
and he was buried in hell. And lifting up his eyes, when he was in torments, he saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said to him, Son, remember that thou didst receive good things in thy lifetime, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there is a fixed, there is fixed a great chaos, so that they who would pass from hence to you cannot, nor from nor from thence come hither. And he said, Then, Father, I beseech thee that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torments. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. For he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will do penance. And he said to them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe if one rise again from the dead. Oh dear, that's from Luke chapter 16. I read that every time I read it, my heart breaks. It, it's such an awful, awful fait complete set done with situation they have Moses and the prophets if they don't believe them um, they won't believe even if one rises from the dead and Bishop Sheen continues now if there is any indication of the present degeneration of society better than another it is the excess of luxury in the modern world When men begin to forget their souls, they begin to take great care of their bodies. There are more athletic clubs in the modern world than there are spiritual retreat houses. And who shall count the millions spent in beauty shops to glorify faces that will one day be the prey of worms? It is not particularly difficult to find thousands who will spend two or three hours a day in exercising. But if you ask them to bend their knees to God in five minutes of prayer, they protest that it is too long. Added to this is the shocking amount that is yearly spent, not in the normal pleasure of drinking, but in its excess. The scandal increases when when one considers the necessary wants of the poor, which could have been supplied by the ancient, by the amount spent for such dehumanizations. I'm going to reread that. The scandal increases when one considers the necessary wants of the poor, which could have been supplied by the amount spent for such dehumanization. The divine judgment upon dives is bound to be repeated upon many of our generation who will find that the beggars for whose service they refused to interrupt their luxuries will be seated at the banquet of the king of kings while they, like dives, will be the beggars 
for but a drop of water. Some separation had to be made for gluttony, drunkenness, and excessive luxury. That reparation began at the birth of our Lord. Some reparation had to be made for gluttony, drunkenness, and the an excessive luxury. And that reparation began at the birth of our Lord, when he who might have pulled down the heavens for his housetop and the stars for his chandeliers chose to be rejected by men and driven as an outcast to a cave in the hillsides of the least of the cities of Israel. The very first sermon he preached was a plea for detachment. Quote, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He began his public life by fasting 40 days and bade men, be not solicitous for your life, what you shall eat, nor for your body, what you shall put on. Traveling about as an itinerant preacher, prophet actually, he admitted he was as homeless as at his birth and that the beasts and birds had a better habitation than he. Quote, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. There was no luxury in the way, no luxury in the way he dined, for we know of but one meal that he himself prepared, and it consisted only of bread and fish. Finally, at the cross, he is stripped of his garments and denied a deathbed in order to go out of his own world as he came into it, Lord of it, and yet possessing nothing. The waters of the sea were his, and all the fountains of the earth had sprung up at his word. He it was who drew the, the bolt of nature's waterfalls and shut up the seats with door, the seas with door, doors. He it was who said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But he that shall drink of the water that I will give him shall not thirst forever. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. But now he lets fall from his lips the shortest of the seven cries from the cross and the one that expresses the keenest of all sufferings in reparation for those who have had their fill. I thirst. A soldier, in, oops, there's the music, beloved. Let me pause here so we're not in the middle of a, a paragraph. But I tell you, um, I've not thought of gluttony to the extent Archbishop Sheen is describing it. And it makes utter, total, total sense, dear ones. Um, we read these things to change our lives, especially during Lent, and I'm changing my life according to this reading of Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Uh, may he be praised forever, and may the God of who created such a man with such uh, holiness be praised. Um, Bishop Sheen attra um, attributed his holiness to a holy hour which he kept every single day of his life. We'll be right back after the break. 
as a non-profit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Thank you for your continued support, and may God bless you and your family. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. We are right in the middle of the fifth Word of the Cross from Archbishop Fulton Sheen's Victory Over Vice, published by Sophia Press. And the fifth word of the cross is I thirst. And the vice that Archbishop Sheen attached to that of the seven deadly vices is is gluttony. And he we continue now. Uh, where Bishop Sheen said that our Lord lets fall from his lips the shortest of the seven cries from the cross and the one that expresses the keenest of all human sufferings in reparation for those who have had their fill. I thirst. Of course, that's what the beggar said to Mother Teresa that ripped through her heart um, and that um, uh, through which uh, she Uh, discerned a call from God, a call within a call, she describes it, to leave the Sisters of Loretto and begin missionaries of charity. Bishop Sheen continues, a soldier immediately put a sponge full of vinegar on a stick and pressed it to our Lord's mouth. Thus was fulfilled the prophecy uttered by the psalmist a thousand years before. 
quote, in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink, end quote. He who fed the birds of the air is left unfed. He who changed water into wine now thirsts. The everlasting fountains are dry. The God-man is poverty-stricken. The divine Lazarus stands at the world's door and begs for a crumb and a drop, but the door of generosity is closed in his face. Thus was reparation made for the luxury of eating and drinking. When, um, when Mirabeau was dying, he called for opium, saying, You promised to spare me needless suffering. Support this head, the greater head, the greatest head in France, end quote. When Christ is dying, he refuses the drug to alleviate his suffering. He deliberately wills to feel the most poignant of human wants so that he might balance in the scales of justice those who had more than they needed. He even made himself the least of all men by asking them for a drink, not a drink of earthly water. That is not what he wanted, but a drink for his thirsty heart, a drink of love. I thirst, he said. I thirst for love. This word from the cross reveals that there is a double hunger and a double thirst, one of the body, the other of the soul. On many previous occasions, our Lord had distinguished between them, Woe to you that are filled, for you shall hunger. Woe to you that now laugh, for you shall mourn and weep. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for you shall laugh. Then to the multitude um, who followed him across the sea in search of bread, he said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that which endureth unto everlasting, which the Son of Man will give you. To the Samaritan woman who came to draw water of Jacob's well, he foretold, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But he that shall drink of the water that I will give him shall not thirst forever. But the water that I will give him shall become in him a fountain of water, springing up into life everlasting. But above all, above all other references to the food and drink of the inner man, as contrasted with that of the outer man, he promised the supreme nourishment of himself, quote, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed, end quote. In the light of this double hunger and thirst of body and soul, the distinction between dieting and fasting becomes clear. The church fasts, the world diets. Materially, there is no difference. For a person can lose 20 pounds one way as well as the other. The difference is in the intention. The Christian fasts not for the sake of the body, but for the sake of the soul. The pagan fasts not for the sake of the soul, but for the sake of the body. The Christian does not fast because he believes the body is wicked, but in order to make it pliable in the hands of the soul like a tool in the hands of a skilled workman. 
That brings us down to the basic problem of life. Is the soul the tool of the body or the body the tool of the soul? Should the soul do what the body wants or should the body do what the soul wants? Each has its appetites and each is imperious to the satisfaction of its wants. If we please one, we displease the other and vice versa. Both of them cannot sit down together at the banquet of life. The development of character depends on which hunger and thirst we cultivate. To diet or to fast, that is the problem. To lose a double chin in order to be more beautiful in the eyes of creatures or to lose it in order to keep the body tamed and ever obedient to the spiritual demands of the soul, that is the question. Human worth can be judged by human desires. Tell me your hungers and your thirsts, and I will tell you what you are. Do you hunger for money more than for mercy, for riches more than for virtue, and for power more than for service? When you are selfish, pampered, and proud, well, let me just say, if you hunger for power more than for service, then you are selfish, pampered, and proud. Do you thirst for the wine of everlasting life more than for pleasure, and for the poor more than for the favor of the rich, and for souls more than for the first places at table? Then you are a humble Christian. The great pity is that so many have been so concerned with the body that they neglect the soul. And in neglecting the soul, they lose the appetite for the spiritual. Just as it is possible in this physiological order for a man to lose all appetite for food, so it is possible in the spiritual order to lose all desire for the supernatural. Gluttonous about the perishable, they become indifferent to the everlasting. Like deaf ears, which are dead to the environment of harmony, and blind eyes, which are dead to the environment of beauty, so warped souls become dead to the environment of the divine. Darwin tells us in his autobiography that in his love for the biological, he lost all the taste he once had for poetry and music, and he regretted the loss of all the days of his life. He regretted that loss all the days of his life. Nothing so much dulls the capacity for the spiritual as excessive dedication to the material. Excessive love of money destroys a sense of value. Excessive love of the flesh kills the values of the spirit. Then comes a moment when everything seems to rebel against the higher law of our being. As the poet has put it, all things betrayest thee who betrayest me. Nature is so loyal to its maker that it is always in the end disloyal to those who abuse it. Traitorous trueness and loyal deceit. 
is its best poetic description. I'll do that, say that again. Traitor, traitorous trueness and loyal deceit is its best poetic description. For in faithfulness to him, it will always be fickle with us. This fifth word from the cross is God's plea to the human heart to satisfy itself at the only satisfying fountains. God cannot compel men to thirst for the holy place of the base or for the divine rather than the secular. That is why his plea is merely an affirmation, I thirst, meaning I thirst to be thirsted for. Mother Teresa well understood that. I thirst to be thirsted for, and his thirst is our salvation. A twofold recommendation is hidden in this short sermon from the cross. First, to mortify bodily hunger and thirst, and second, to cultivate a spiritual hunger and thirst. We are to mortify bodily hunger and thirst, not because the flesh is wicked, but because the soul must ever exercise mastery over it, lest it become a tyrant. Quite apart from avoiding all excesses, excesses, the cross commits us even to the minimizing of expenditures for luxuries for the sake of the poor. How many ever think of foregoing an elaborate dinner and theater party or a debut out of genuine sympathy and affection for Christ's poor? Dives did not, and he lost his soul because of that forgetfulness. How many in less ample circumstances even mortify themselves one movie a month in order to drop its equivalent in the poor box that he who sees in secret may reward in secret. The divine counsel concerning such restraint of bodily appetites is unmistakable. On one occasion, when our Lord was invited to the home of the prince of the Pharisees, he addressed the host of himself, saying, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, nor thy kinsmen, nor thy neighbors who are rich, lest perhaps they also invite thee again, and a recompense be made to thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and those shall be blessed, because they have not wherewith to make thy to make thee recompense. For recompense shall be made thee at the resurrection of the just. Oh, my dear ones, it's difficult to get through one of these chapters in one program. We will continue tomorrow. Um, I just find every word of this gold. And if you've missed it, go ahead and you can look on any website or go to Sophia Press and get Victory Over Vice by Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Um, This is a wonderful time to call in. Our lines are wide open, and we'll take your calls, your texts, your emails after the break. Call in toll-free at 1-877-795-9565. 
511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. If you're looking to make the most out of what you can donate to Catholic Radio, making a transfer of stock is a great opportunity for your giving to go even further in support of the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Please consider this option in helping us spread the gospel message over the airwaves and through mobile devices. Many people donate to charities by gifting stock. There are even substantial tax benefits for donating stock to a charity such as ours. Would you like to learn more about the possibility of gifting stock to the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network? Please call us at 1-877-888-6279. That's 1-877-888-6279. You can also visit us online at thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for your support of Catholic Radio. May God bless you and your family. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm Totally thrilled, always, always, always thrilled to be with you. And this is our favorite time together where you can call in or text or ask any question on your heart, email. Um, again, I'm reminded, I forget so many times to uh, mention lifefunder.com, the uh, fundraiser that LifeSite News um, graciously uh put up for us, lifefunder.com. Um, I just took a look. I, I, I've missed it for several days, but every time I think to look at it, um, I read through your beautiful, your, your, your comments, your heart, your prayers, and I pray for each one of you, and I thank God for you. I just now took a look. I wasn't on it all weekend, and I just now took a look, and it looks like we are 35% funded with 19 days to go, 35% funded to the 200,000 that we need. Um, we're painting what the small house that's going to become our guest house. So many people want to come and visit. And uh, we've made an offer on a larger house um, that um, 
uh, sold for $325,000. However, people have not been in it. The pipes broke, flooded the whole place, and um, it, there's uh, quite a number of things that need to be fixed there, and new carpets, new floors, pipes, all of that. Um, and so we made it another offer of 200000 on it, and they're going to let us know if they accept it. I hope um, uh, they will, because we'll need to put a lot of money in there, but we'll meet, be able to take in a lot more women. And um, we'll be in the first smaller house temporarily until the bigger one is fixed, God willing, and then we'll move in, and we'll have a place for everybody who wishes to visit as well. So God bless you all. It's life, www.lifefunder, one word, L-I-F-E-F-U-N-D-E-R.com, forward slash, and then the initials of our community, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, D for Daughters, O-M-M-O-I-H. And um, I I just hug all of you who have already uh, encouraged us so by your donation um, and uh, thank all of you to follow. Um, God bless you all. Uh, our toll-free number is one 877 Our email is mother at We have an email from Karen who writes, <clears throat> Dear Mother, I was watching a Catholic YouTube video and the two gentlemen were talking about the coming tribulation. Their only answer for salvation was to convert. I always felt that the answer was to repent if you are a believer of Christ. Mother, you have been a Jew and a Protestant in your past. Do you believe our Lord will turn his back on them? Thank you and God bless Karen. Karen, I th- I'm, I'm going to guess who you mean by them are Jews and Protestants. Um, there's no, our Lord turns his back on no one. We turn our back on him. And you're right that the answer is to repent, and that is what uh, conversion is. Uh, uh, to repent, the, the word means to make an about-face, 180 degrees. You're going north, and you turn around and go south. You're going east, you turn around and go west. 180 degrees, you go the opposite way. And in order to do that, you need to repent. You need to convert. It's the same thing. Your heart uh, needs to be... Um, uh, uh, converted. Um, uh, the Benedictine writings call it uh, compulsion uh, to uh, just as the um, Jewish people in Acts chapter 2 <clears throat> when Peter told them that it was them who killed our Messiah, uh, the Jewish Messiah, and they were cut to the heart. That's what it means to repent and to convert, to be cut to the heart. Um, and they said, what shall we do, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter answered, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And that is the only way to be saved, to repent and be baptized. Um, when you said, I've been a Jew, um, you're right, I was raised in a Jewish family. My whole family is, is uh, comes from a Jewish heritage, indeed. But it's not past tense. The fulfillment um, of the Jewish um, nation 
is their Messiah. And I'm a Jew who believed Messiah came 2,000 years ago, so I am the greatest Jew a Jew could be. Anyone that believes in the Jewish Messiah uh, doesn't negate his heritage. Uh, it's utterly fulfilled in in the Messiah, who is Christ. Christ is not his name, it's his title, and the English translation of the Hebrew Mashiach, or Messiah, same word. Um, so I am... Um, I am a Jew who is a follower of the Messiah, and I am in the church he established, which is the Catholic Church, whose foundation is the Jewish prophets and apostles, Catholic meaning universal. God went from a particular people, the Jewish people that he um, bore through Abraham, uh, brought the Messiah from Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, through Jacob's son Judah, through the tribe of Judah, the family of David, all the way to the birth of Christ, um, through Mary, uh, who was from the line of David, as was um, uh, her her husband, Joseph, the royal line of David as well. Uh, the Holy Spirit, Mary remained a virgin, but her, her uh, husband, uh, 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 Joseph, the stepfather of our Lord, uh, is also from the line of David. So the most Jewish a Jew could be is to be Catholic. We don't negate our Jewishness. We fulfill it. As far as being a Protestant in my past, that is past. Protestant came from Protestants of the um, the 16th century who protested the Catholic Church. I was brought into Christianity protesting um uh, not knowing that I was a Protestant protesting the Catholic Church. I was just a Christian, a follower of Christ. But I know now that I was um, came from the group, or 40,000 of them, who are the fruit of the rejection of the one true church. So no longer a Protestant, a Protestant. I'm a, a Protestant Protestant. I protest Protestantism, but I am Catholic. So you're very right. Forgive me for taking your question here and going off a little bit on on that of my own journey. But will our Lord turn his back on Jews or Protestants or atheists or Muslims or anyone else? Absolutely not. And the Catechism teaches that those who through no, through no fault of their own, this is the key, through no fault of their own, don't understand the truths of the Catholic Church, but they um, have not rejected the grace of God that they've received. They can, Not that they will be saved, but they can be saved. Um, there is one name under heaven by which we must, M-U-S-T, be saved. Um, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is no other name under heaven, said Peter, by which we must be saved, and that is the name of the only Savior, Jesus, whose name means Savior, Jesus the Christ, Yeshua uh, HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the only name under heaven. There's only one Savior. There's no way to God but through him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Um, and he told that to the Jewish people. And so um, it's the only way. It's also true, beloved, for Catholics. Those who have lived up to the grace of God that we've been given, we have, as the Jews of old prior to Christ, they had the oracles of God. And yet God said to them, the Gentiles who live 
according to the law of God in their heart, will get into heaven, will be saved before you who are Jews, who have the very oracles oracles of God and don't live up to them. You see, we now as Catholics have more than anyone on the face of the earth, this side of heaven, more than anyone on the face of the earth. If we don't live up to the faith God has given us, um, we will be lost more than before anybody else. If we live up to the truths God has given us, we too can be saved. It's not a given that we will be saved. It's not a given that we won't fall. But it is a given that if we repent and convert and turn back to God, uh, then we will be saved. That goes for every single human being alive. The vows of a Benedictine, which we are, are not chastity, poverty, and obedience. The vows that a Benedictine takes are obedience, stability, and conversion of manners. Obedience, nothing comes before obedience, to reject um, even your, your fellow religious sister in the convent is to reject Christ. We are obedient to one another, and especially to those in authority over us. And then stability, we don't flit from one um, religious community to another, to another, to another, that we're stable. And then conversion of manners, which takes in poverty and chastity, and is our ongoing mission through all of life. Conversion of manners. We are converted, hopefully daily, Our hearts are converted. Just reading Victory Over Vice just now, my heart is being converted to a deeper walk with Christ. So conversion is true, and conversion only takes place with true sorrow, with repentance. Karen, you're right about that. With true repentance, that means a sorrow for the way we've been living, cut to the heart, shown the way we've been living, turning from God, or not choosing to walk with him regarding, regardless of the sacrifice and turning from him. To convert is to be cut to the heart, to repent, and to walk with God more deeply. Um, if you've been away from the church, beloved, if you've been away from God, um, Maybe God brought Karen's email to us and my response to it today because he wants you to know his love and he wants you to know there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear from the one who was tortured for you, who laid down his life that you might have life. There's nothing to fear. He waits for you like the prodigal, like the father of the prodigal son with open arms And he says, come home, son. Daughter, come home. There's no other happiness. There's no other freedom. Repent. Come to me, our Lord says, with all your sins. Don't wait till you're in good shape because you won't be. No one can straighten their lives out apart from coming to God. I will help you, he would say to you. Come home to me. Run to a priest in the confessional. Run to a priest in the Catholic Church. Um, and come home. And if you're a priest who has turned from God, no matter your sin, no matter your failing, no matter your fear, come the same way. You are also, while, while you are a shepherd, you are also a sheep. Run to a holy sheep, uh, priest 
and confess. Run to a holy bishop and confess and come back to God. It's never, ever too late. It's never, ever too late. There's no sin that cannot be forgiven. None, unless we refuse to turn from our sin and refuse to come to God. We're never done with. It's never too late. We've never committed too many sins for too many years, for too long. Never, no matter what we've done, God died. Before you were born, he died for every sin you committed. And he wants you home. And he wants you to be restored to your priesthood. Um, there's a most beautiful story of John Paul II um, that I may tell you when we come back from the break. It's, it is as beautiful as any story that I've ever heard. It's been published. It's a true story. And it's the story of God's love for his sheep, including his shepherds. There's the music for our final break, beloved. We'll come back. It'll be our last segment of today. You're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. If the cares and anxieties of life are weighing you down, come to the St. Thomas More House of Prayer and allow the Lord to refresh your soul. The St. Thomas More House of Prayer is a Catholic retreat center devoted to praying and promoting the liturgy of the hours. You'll find a tranquil atmosphere that's ideal for deep prayer, whether as an individual or for a group retreat. We're located at 365 Hill City Road in Cranberry, Pennsylvania. Make your reservation today or learn more at liturgyofthehours.org. You can also call us at 814-676-1910. That's 814-676-1910. We would love to help you experience the Liturgy of the Hours and discover the prayer that will change your life. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com.
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment together. Uh, We have a little over 10 minutes and our lines are wide open. You're absolutely welcome to call in toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at motheratthestationofthecross.com. Just before the break, um, we were speaking about the fact that it's never too late to come to God. It's never too late, and whether you are a sheep or shepherd, even if you're a shepherd, you're still a sheep, but God has made you also a shepherd. And um, we know that shepherds fall. We know that. We know that the, the church is in an, an awful state right now, It's it, and it has been for quite a while with so many falling. And I mentioned before the break that just as it is never too late for us wayward sheep to repent and come home, that the father of the prodigal son, God, gave us that parable to show his love for us. And that no matter what debauchery we've lived in, he will be looking over the hill waiting for us to come home. And that's true for shepherds as well, priests, bishops, and anybody. So... Um, Maybe I I suggested that maybe uh, our Lord has you listening today because you're a wounded shepherd. Uh, You're still a sheep, um, and God would have you come home, and he would would heal you, and um, he would have you um, just snuggle up in his arms and know that you're loved and know that you're forgiven, no matter what you've done for how long, no matter what scandal you've caused. There is forgiveness. <clears throat> the Protestant song, which I love, says, there is room. Um, there's room for you at the cross. There's room at the cross for you. But the story that I heard of John Paul II, uh, St. John Paul II, uh, I don't know if I'll tell the whole thing 100% accurately, but this is the gist of the story, that there was a, a two seminarians who became good friends, and they were ordained to the priesthood uh, after time. And years passed, and there was no communication between them. They went their own ways into ministry. Excuse me. And one day, one of the priests, a previous seminary, and one of the priests was in Rome, and as he came to a church, there's often, I've been in Rome myself and seen many, many poor, gypsies, all others, sitting on the steps begging for money, beggars. And he came across a beggar, and um, he recognized the beggar as his seminarian friend, and he was utterly, utterly shocked. And he spoke to him. And I don't recall the story of how that priest got off track and lost his priesthood, was laicized, and just became a beggar, disheveled, long beard, filthy clothes, sitting and begging for someone to give him a quarter or anything like that. And it turns out that the priest who saw his friend, now a beggar, had an appointment with John Paul II, had an appointment with the Pope. 
and he said, I'm, I'm having dinner with the Pope tonight. Uh, why don't you come with me and meet him? And I, I don't think that the priest turned beggar was uh, amenable to that, but his friend talked him into it, and he brought him uh, to meet the Pope. And he did that, and the, and the Pope sent the, the priest uh, out, and he had the beggar stay with him <clears throat> for a few minutes. And they both sat down. Um, and the Pope turned to the beggar, the beggar ex-priest, um, and said, I want you to hear my confession. Would you hear my confession? And the, the priest, now a beggar, was astonished. And he said, Holy Father, I, I, I can't. I'm, I'm not a priest anymore. I, I can't. You're asking me, a sinner, a beggar, to hear your confession. Oh, I can't. And the Pope says, but I'm the Pope, and I can restore your faculties. And right there, the beggar confessed his sins to John Paul II. John Paul II restored his faculties. And then the beggar, now a restored priest, heard John Paul II's confession. I don't know that I've ever heard anything more beautiful than that. I just don't know. Uh, Jason Everett has wrote, written a book on John Paul the Great and was privy to many personal stories uh, that other people were not privy to uh, with John Paul and named his first son, who was my godson, John Paul. Um, if you haven't gotten John Paul to uh, John Paul uh, the Great by Jason Everett, it, I would recommend it to you and you will hear utterly magnificent stories of that saint. Um, I'm just saying that because, just saying that God came for sinners. He came for sinners. Um, he came for me, I can tell you that one. He came for me. Um, and I mentioned to you I was a jail chaplain for 10 years and met every person who'd committed every despicable crime you can think of. Um, and I know that one by one, those uh, jail uh, sinners came into my little cubicle and for counsel and for talking and, and all of that. And someone once said to me, aren't you afraid to be with all the murderers and thieves and people that have stabbed others and done more despicable crimes than that? And I say, no, I'm not afraid because I know but nobody else but God knows that there's not a sin that anybody can commit in this world that I'm not capable of. And you say, Mother, you can make your point, but don't make it with that kind of false uh, illustration or example. Don't do that to us. I'm not doing it to you. I'm telling you the truth. I do not believe that there is a crime that anybody can commit that I'm not capable of given the circumstances. I don't know. I can't, there are things I cannot imagine doing, but I am a sinner who's been utterly converted. And still, I know that if I draw, if I don't draw near to God, I'm capable of many things. I know that. I know that. The scripture says, be careful when you think you stand, lest you fall. 
So I don't know that anyone's a greater sinner than me. You might want to uh, vie for that position to be a greater sinner than me. But the thing is that I know a great Savior. There's no sin for which he did not die. Is there the unforgivable sin? There is. There is. It is the final sin that someone won't repent from. As long as there repentance, there is forgiveness. As long as there are genuine repentance, there is genuine forgiveness. We don't surprise God by committing a sin that he died for 2,000 years ago before we were even born. He died for every one of our sins. And he did that, not that we should suffer, but that we would be forgiven. He died for us out of love. It was love that died on the cross. It wasn't the Jews or the Romans that put him there. It was me who put him on the cross. It was our sins for which he died. Sin killed the Savior. And he was God raised him up to give life to all who will come to him. It's the only thing, dear ones, you need to do is to come to God, to turn, as the scriptures say, turn from your wicked ways. Go ahead. You're not going to shape up. You're not going to do all that. Don't worry about all that. God only requires that you turn from your wicked ways and turn to him. And he will be waiting with open arms. And he will say, I forgive you. Whether he says it through a priest or a bishop, it is Christ saying to you, I love you, my son, my daughter, I died for you. I absolve you. God bless you, and we'll speak with you tomorrow.